Welcome. My name is Pastor John, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here at the Layton campus, and we are in week four of this series we're calling Breakthrough Disciplines, the Ancient Secret of Life to the Full. Jesus said in John 10.10 that those who follow him, he wants to give them a rich and satisfying life, a life to the full. And some of you are, are saying, well, when do I get that? How, how do I break through to that kind of life? Maybe you've been struggling with anxiety, with just pressures from the world, with depression, or uh, maybe your, or a particular sin has got a stronghold over you like we just sang about, uh, and, and Jesus wants to give you breakthrough, but you're, you've been trying really hard, and it feels like you're up against a brick wall. Well, this series is, is more about training over time for breakthrough than it is about trying harder. Victory is about developing these spiritual disciplines over time. Let me read to you John 15, 5. I am the vine. This is Jesus speaking. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do... Nothing, right. Of course, many have heard this verse. And essentially, this is what spiritual disciplines are all about. They're about connecting to the vine, about, about abiding in Jesus. Because at the end of the day, this, this ancient secret, and I want so bad to use an Asian accent when I say that, I, don't, I won't, because I know that would be not a good thing in today's day and age. But now you're thinking about it, right? This ancient secret is, is all about walking with Christ. It's all about closeness to, to him. So today we want, we want to encourage you um, in this series to embrace a lifestyle of, of preparation. And specifically as Christians, we have uh, this gift, this privilege to be connected to Jesus. He has broken down the wall of hostility by the cross and we can be back in relationship with him. And so let's, let's be desperate for Jesus every day. Let's not get caught in a desperate moment wondering where Jesus is, where, why the Lord doesn't feel very, very close in the moment of our crisis. Now, we have learned, in the, we've looked at in the past few weeks, uh, prayer and fasting, and I've, I hope you've added those to your breakthrough training regimen. Um, but today we're going to look at some, some different disciplines, actually three of them in total, and we're calling these How to Pace Yourself. We're calling this series How to Pace Yourself for break, Breakthrough. Uh, there's three disciplines we're going to look at today, and they're all about slowing down. And many of you just went, yeah, I, I, need, I need to hear this. And I have a confession I, I have not been exactly uh, purposeful about these disciplines, but maybe you're like me, and in your life, there's been times where God has literally pumped the brakes for you. You're, you're heading off, and you're racing along in your own direction, uh, and then God's put some circumstances in your life that's forced you to slow down. Uh, this happened in my life, and I, I was wrestling with, with, with sin and fears and temptations, anxieties and uncertainties and doubts, and God, through some circumstances, 
made me slow down and what, and what ultimately helped me was to press into my relationship with God and, and with others. So no matter where you're at in, in this season of your life, it's never too late to start to be purposeful about these disciplines. If you're struggling with the pace of your life, um, if you feel like things are out of control, you're, you're stressed out all the time and you need breakthrough, then this series I think will be a good one for you. Let's look at uh, our first point here. And we've got these points kind of broken down into the, the problem and the, and the solution. So the problem here, the problem here in, in this, this first discipline is that a hurried life keeps us from being present enough to love God and people. The problem with a hurried life is, is you're not present. And see if this sounds familiar to you. You, you, you're, you're going to bed and, and your mind is still racing from everything that was going on that day and with everything you've got to deal with tomorrow and in, in the rest of the week and you've got the best intentions to, to, to get up and knock off everything on your list but you get pulled in a, a thousand directions or you're just plain distracted by everything that's going on in the world and, and maybe you're not the most structured person in the world. By the way, this isn't me I'm talking about. Maybe the most structured person in the world. So you can't get, uh, so you get caught up in, in kind of planning and tasking on the fly. And then you, you hit the bed, you hit, your pillow hits, uh, your head hits the pillow, exhausted, and you're completely out of bandwidth for, for those who you love and care about most in your life. And, and, and you have no time for God. And some of you can relate to that, but let's say that's not you. Let's say you're not like me. Let's say you're Mr. Type A organizer. Mr. Efficient. Structure is your middle name. I admire you, by the way. I, I've always wanted to be this person, but I, I just have never achieved it. Um, you're always looking to be more productive, um, always looking to be more efficient, get more done, but you don't get a, ta- you don't get a pass here because your, your life, just like uh, the unstructured person who needs, who needs some structure to create margin, you need some margin as well. Not for more tasks, but so that you can love God and love others. So regardless where you're at on this, on this spectrum, a hurried life keeps us from being present, being able to, to love God and love others. So here, here's the discipline, and it's in yellow on the slide here. It's called slowing. Slowing is intentionally putting ourselves in situations that teach us to wait. Here's some examples. Try purposefully getting in the slow lane next time you're driving down the highway, okay, on the freeway. By the way, you all drive nuts. I thought Chicago had crazy drivers. You guys are nuts out here, okay? I've actually been doing this, all right, because I I wanted to begin to practice what I'm preaching up here today. So I've been getting in the slow lane, and just uh, a few days ago, I was taking my daughter Presley to volleyball practice, and I'm in the slow lane. I'm doing pretty well. You know, I had to make margin for my life to do this. I had to leave a little bit early. and I'm driving along, you know, whatever. People are flying by me. And all with that, a rock hits my windshield. Smack right in my line of sight. Not in one of the corners where I could kind of just ignore it. Boom. And I went, oh my goodness. What? This, maybe this, maybe this is a sign, Lord, that I need to get back in the fast lane. And with that, I, I heard the Lord say, no, no, uh, like the windshield, you're broken, and you need to remember to slow down. <laughs> I said, all right, Lord, you win. You win. Or, or maybe, or maybe uh, you're, you're at the, the grocery store, right? And what do we all do at the grocery store? We got all our stuff, and we look for what? 
the shortest possible line. Well, slowing is where you say, I'm going to intentionally get in the long line. Now you're thinking, you're thinking, I, no, no, I don't even think Jesus would do that. <laughs> but here's the point. Teaching ourselves to slow down requires that we leave room for margin in our lives, margins to, margin to love God and to love others. And we're not practicing slowing down just for the sake of, being, of, of slowness, but that we, that we would um, learn to have this margin to be present, that we would learn to be sensitive and listen to the Holy Spirit um, in, in how we would engage those he puts in our path and in our lives every day. And a busy life doesn't have time for this. A, bu- a busy life has no time for margin or for love. No margin for healthy communication with others or with God. No margin to stop and engage others in communication or acts of kindness or with the gospel. And now, those of you who know your Bibles know that you won't find the scripture that says, you know, uh, and then Jesus rushed through the crowd and hurried off to the synagogue to, to preach at the temple. That's just not in there. Jesus had margin in his life. Life to connect with the Father and life to connect with others. But, but we miss it. And here is a, a scripture that illustrates old Peter missing it. Matthew 17 here. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. So here we have Jesus revealing revealing his supernatural glory to his disciples. We call this the, the transfiguration. He gets them alone. He, he wants them to see him in a new way, give them a fresh perspective around who he is, which is what he wants for us too. Can you, and can you imagine this, right? It, it must have been an incredible moment. But look what happens next here. In, um, at, at verse 4 and 5, Peter exclaims, Lord, it's wonderful for us, for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. And I, I think this is kind of funny. I think you will too. But... In the midst of this epic moment, Peter, instead of slowing down and being present, he basically jumps up to do a task. He's like, hey guys, I think now would be a great idea to go scavenge some sticks and rocks and build a a memorial shelter. I thought that would be funnier, no? Okay, but regardless, even while he's saying this, God the Father interrupts Peter. He says, Peter, pay attention. This is my son whom I love, the second person of the Trinity, God wrapped in flesh, listen to him. And it's not like Peter was doing doing something evil. The stuff that we sometimes get caught up doing in our lives is not necessarily bad. We get busy with our own agendas and, and we miss out on being present. And God the Father is saying, just stop. I just want you to be present. I want you to have the margin to listen to me and step out in faith and obey. He says, I, I love Jesus. 
I want you to love him. It's about love. It's about listening. It's not about efficiency. And I love what Sean Wilson says. When the enemy is not tempting you to be bad, he's working to make you busy. You may recognize Sean. He's a theologian and author. No, he's not. He's my college roommate. And this is probably the only intelligent thing he ever said. But I, truthfully, he's, he's, he's my dear friend of this day. And he, and he did say that, actually. Um, this, this should challenge some of us. It challenges me. If you can relate to this, you need to practice the discipline of slowing down to make room in your life to love God and to love others. That's the first one. So let's look at our, our second one today. A crowded life gives the world permission to shape us into its mold. Solitude is withdrawing from the constant barrage of stimulation to let God transform us. So solitude is our second spiritual discipline related to pacing. We're always around people. We, we're always being stimulated. We've got our, all of our gadgets and Netflix and everything else you can imagine. And this gives the world permission to shape us into its mold. Some of us don't, don't really ever get alone. In every waking hour, we are being stimulated with a message from the world that essentially hates God's truth. That's not good for our soul. We need solitude. Otherwise, the world will continue to force us into its mold. And, and again, solitude is not for the sake of, of loneliness, but for the sake of time alone with God and his creation. Solitude removes man-made stimulus from our, our lives so that your thoughts and attitudes can be stimulated by Almighty God so that he can transform you as you grow in your relationship with his son, Jesus. Let's look at uh, Romans 12. Verse 2 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. God transforms us as we make time to get alone with him and in his word. In my late 20s, I, I went through a time in my life where I began to find myself choosing time alone with God over time, hanging out uh, with my coworkers, uh, essentially at the bars after work. And I've had to do the same thing here at Alpine. No, I'm kidding. It's a joke. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it, and it wasn't easy. My, my first, um, you know, my flesh hated it. I, I dealt with this constant fear of missing out. But God used this time in my life to really to really shape me, to really help me build my identity in him instead of my, my career path or the buddies I, I hung out with. He used it to help me build my image in Christ instead of the world's ideas around what it meant to be a man that I had developed over my entire lifetime. It was a time of, of great growth in my life, but I'm certain if I would not have gotten alone with God, I would have not experienced this growth. So we must unplug from the world or it will conform it, us to, to itself. Uh, let's take a brief look at uh, Mark chapter 6, because some of you may be thinking, well, that's, that's great for Jesus, and, and, uh, but, you know, I'm busy. I got a lot going on. Well, let's take a look at a day in the week of Jesus here, starting at verse 30. 
the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Now, leading up to this, to this verse in, chap, in chapter 6 here, Jesus gets rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. Then he sends his 12 disciples off on, on their mission. Then John the Baptist uh, has his head involuntarily removed. And, and I'm sure Jesus found this in, incredibly saddening. This was his cousin. And it's fair to say it's been one of those emotionally and physically draining weeks for Jesus. Then the, the disciples get back and, and they're excited and they're talking Jesus' ear off. They've been casting out demons and, and healing the sick. And Jesus finally says, hey guys, we, we need to unplug. You guys had a great week, but my, my cousin John, he's been beheaded. My, my, uh, my old neighborhood, they tried to throw me off a cliff. Um, and you can find that in chapter Luke, actually. And I encourage you to read this, this chapter, but that portion of it you can find in the book of Luke. And what happens? So, so many people are coming to Jesus that they don't, and, and the disciples, they don't even have time to eat. And Jesus is saying, hey, let's, let's just get away. But they don't even have time to do that. And some of us all, all know this feeling. And at this point, Jesus does more teaching, and then he feeds the 5,000, which, with including uh, women and children, would have been more like, more like 10 to, to 20,000 people. So this crazy week Jesus had is, got even more crazy. Well, let's fast forward to verse 45 here. Immediately after Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida, while he sent the people home, after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. And here's the point. If Jesus needs to get off by himself to pray in the midst of all this ministry going on, we, we need to do it too. Our lives are, are certainly pulled in a thousand different directions, but, but what has Jesus modeled for us here that we're missing? Do we, do we purposefully make time to get alone with Jesus? Do we practice this spirit, spiritual discipline of solitude? And yet it, it, it's one of those disciplines that in our day and age is kind of lost, right? So how do we practice solitude without heading off into you know, to the monastery to be a monk? Maybe, maybe you just need to set your alarm a little early. Get up and spend some extra time with the Lord in the morning before everything gets going. My, my wife is really good at this. My mom actually was, was really good at this as well. And, and when I was a, a kid, I, we, I was 17. I'm the oldest of four siblings. Our life was hectic at this time. My dad had, had left. My mom now was, uh, went from being a stay-at-home mom to working 40 hours a week, um, making 3.45 an hour. That was minimum wage at the time. And then also going back to school to get her master's degree. And I remember I'd walk down the stairs in the morning, and there she would be in her chair in our living room with her, the Word of God open, many times reading it, many times just deep in prayer. And, and I know that impacted her. I know that it, it impacted me. And I, if she was here today, she'd tell you that without that time of solitude with the Lord, she wouldn't have got through it. We wouldn't have got through it. She got us through it. 
So this could look like going for a walk. It could look like the next time you're out running errands, take an extra 10 minutes after you're done and just sit in your vehicle. Look at these beautiful mountains and pray or listen for the Lord. My challenge to you is to get some solitude in your life. If, if you're not doing this, the world will continue to press you into its image. And again, we're not looking at solitude for the sake of loneliness, but for time alone with God and in his creation. And finally, let's look at our, our last discipline here. Our pride and anxiety tempt us to use words to control things. Silence is choosing not to speak so that we can hear from God and learn to submit. We're so used to having noise in our life. Silence is not just removing the noise from our lives, although that's certainly part of it, but it's also learning to control the noise that comes out of our mouth. And also learning to hear from God in that time and submit and depend on submit to him and de- depend on on him. Some of you are saying, uh, well, I, I practice this. I practice this in three second intervals. And over the day, course of a day, that, that really adds up. <laughs> that would be me, actually. Uh, others might be thinking, well, you know, I, I, uh, I give my spouse the silent treatment for hours at a time. That counts, doesn't it? No, it does not count. We're not talking about prideful silence meant to manipulate people. That's no better than running off at the mouth. We're talking about choosing to close our mouths and listen to God and others. Choosing to let the results lie in God's hands instead of relying on our tongues to control our circumstances and outcomes. This is one that most of us really probably need work on. Let's take a look at this this quote here from Richard Foster, who's not my college roommate. This guy's an actual guy. One reason we can hardly bear to remain silent is that it makes us feel so helpless. We are so accustomed to relying upon words to manage and control others. Silence can tend to make us feel vulnerable, make us feel weak, awkward, out of control, and anxious. And even in our relationship with God, we can tend to use our our words to manipulate him. Maybe maybe, uh, you're like me, uh, or maybe I'm the only one that does this, but there's times where, where I find myself sharing with other people And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, God, you better be eavesdropping in on this conversation. Because, you know, I've been been praying about this to you, God, and and obviously you haven't acted on it yet, so I'm not sure you're paying attention. Again, I'm just weird, maybe. Okay, but I've done this. I do this. And we should should have silence as part of our prayer life as well. And, And this should be obvious, but how much do we really practice it? We need to make room for God to speak in our lives. And let's just, let's just think about this relationally for a second. Let's say you had an opportunity to spend time with the, your favorite uh, hero, your favorite athlete, or some astronaut that just returned from you know, a trip around the moon or something. Do you, do you honestly believe that you would do all the talking? <laughs> I highly doubt it. Let's, let's, uh, it turns out that the Bible has a lot to say about replacing words that we are tempted to speak with silence. Let's look at uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Oops. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. As you enter the house of God, keep your 
ears open and your mouth shut. It is evil to make mindless offerings to God. Don't make rash promises and don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God is in heaven and you are here on earth, so let your words be few. That should probably be enough, but I've got some more because the Bible has a whole lot to say about this in Scripture. I'm just going to read a few verses off to you here. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 17, it says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is determined intelligent. James chapter 1, many of you I'm sure have heard this one. Know this, my beloved brother, brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow, slow to speak, slow to anger. Psalm chapter 12, may the Lord... Cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts, those who say with our tongue, we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? And then Matthew 12, this is Jesus speaking here. And I, I, I guarantee this will put the nail in the coffin. Okay? I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you'll, you will be condemned. I'd say that's a pretty compelling argument from Scripture to keep our, our mouth shut. And so it's important that we work on this discipline of silence. And the more we work on it, the more we will see that we do indeed try to use our words to ma manipulate others in our, in our circumstances. How many countless, countless times have, have we opened our mouths, right? And the moment we do, we go, ah, oh, why did I say that? I should have kept my mouth shut. And again, like I mentioned to you, this isn't something I'm, I'm great at. I'm working on it, though. In fact, it's, it's been paying off. Just yesterday, my wife, Valerie, came through the house with some groceries, and I was going to be critical of something. I was about to say something, and then I just didn't say it. And you know what? It was good that I didn't say it. It was good that I didn't say it. It was good that I didn't have to learn the hard way, not just simply for, for my own sake, but for the sake of my wife, who I love and care about, and who, you know, it's not really that big of a deal if we got to eat broccoli or not, right? Okay. Let's, let's start doing this. Start biting our tongues long enough to listen and obey. No noise, no words. Make room to hear from Jesus. Just like fasting, you could start by trying it for 5, 10, 20 minutes. I actually tried it this morning on my way here. Uh, I turned down 193. It is, you know, heading, I was out west, heading east toward the campus here. And as soon as I turned, oh, the mountains. And I went, oh my goodness, I just need to stop. Turn Christian radio off and listen. And I was tempted. My phone was already buzzing at me. You know, I was tempted to start practicing what I'm, you know, work, you know, what I'm delivering to you guys today. But I stopped and I said, no, I'm just going just gonna to look at the mountains. I did think of a scripture. I cast my, hill, my eyes upon the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And I just was quiet, but it was, it was hard. It's something we, we ought to work on. Let's learn to connect to the vine and listen to the Holy Spirit Listen to what God's would have us say and have us do. And in conclusion, I want to look at this Psalm 46 that really kind of uh, encapsulates all these slowing disciplines we're talking about today. Be still and know that I 
am God. And God is saying, I want you to just be still and, and know me. Know that I am God. Slow down. Make margin in your life to love me and love others. Get alone with me. Allow me to transform you. Stop trying to control others and trust me. Allow me to take control. God's saying, breakthrough is coming. If you would just abide in me, reflect my image, spend time with me, and I'll give you breakthrough. I'll show you, I'll show you how to have more love, more joy, more peace, more patience, more goodness, more kindness, more faithfulness, more self-control in your life as you reflect me and my glory to others.